Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. He must increase. Go with me, if you will, to the 22nd verse of John chapter 3. And let's look together. I'll read for us. Verses 23, 22 through 24 is where I'll begin. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Let's stop there for just a moment. Let me make some introductory comments. What takes place here with the gospel writer John is he is bringing to completion the ministry of John the Baptist in his gospel account. This is actually the last time, with with, uh, the exception of one other reference, that we will hear any more about John the Baptist because not long after this he'll be put into prison and then be um, ultimately killed. But what the gospel writer John is doing is he's showing that final connection of unity between the ministry of John the Baptist and the introduction of Jesus as the Christ who has come. And again, we've talked over and over at the beginning of this gospel the key importance of the role of John the Baptist to introduce Jesus as the Christ of God. And while Jesus' ministry would later include far more than John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus never did anything to reduce, lessen, or nullify the ministry of John the Baptist. Why is that? Well, if you remember, it's because the ministry of John the Baptist was a fulfillment of the promise of God from ages long since past at this time. And it was critical to the mission of God, that John the Baptist's ministry be effective in order to introduce Jesus. And so Jesus acknowledges, affirms John the Baptist's ministry, and for a season, both of them were ministering simultaneously. Jesus, as he was not yet coming into the fullness of his ministry, and John the Baptist, as he was faithfully completing his ministry. Jesus affirms John the Baptist's ministry as that turning point in the history of salvation for an increasingly more manifest fulfillment of his preparatory work to introduce the kingdom of God, an increasingly more manifest fulfillment. I, I like that. That those aren't my words, by the way. Those sound way too brilliant for me. I'm quoting someone there. An increasingly more manifest fulfillment. That that is so critical for our understanding of what of what John is saying to us today in the gospel. Because in the same way that Jesus comes onto the scene and picks up where John the Baptist uh, has ushered in and made and prepared a way for him among the people, so it will be today that the very message that John calls us to will be to seek an increasing 
presence, an increasing manifest fulfillment of the presence of God in our lives today through Jesus and his work. And that's why the message is titled, He Must Increase. We seek an increasing manifest fulfillment of Jesus in our life today. Go with me back now to the scriptures, to verse 25, and let's read through verse 31. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pause there again for just a moment. This discussion arises. And, you know, sometimes we think that, that uh, uh, discussions that quickly go awry started with social media. Now, I think they maybe were perfected with social media, but they didn't start with social media, right? Because a discussion arose over purification, and then a, a point of minutia came up in the midst of the discussion, and someone chose that rabbit trail to take the discussion down, right? That's kind of how it happens. Someone makes a comment, and the original comment that everyone was discussing is no longer even in play. They've completely gone off topic and the topic that they got off on here was this. John, that dude's getting more attention than you are. His church is bigger than yours is now. He's doing something that we need to deal with because he's got more success, more favor with people. You see, what is clear is not so much the exact focus of the conversation and where it went, but rather that John the Baptist's disciples were feeling threatened by Jesus' success. And they come to John out of concern to inquire of what response he will give this. And so he responds with a statement of trust and dependency in God's sovereignty. What he does is he, he tells his disciples that it's God's plan to give more people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the whole reason John is here. And that's what he's telling his disciples. It's easy to get off mission. It's easy for you and I to miss the point that Jesus is here when we get focused on our own kingdoms, isn't it? You don't have to answer that. I just answered it for you. That wasn't a question. That was a statement. <laughs> a settled trust, though, in God's sovereignty for our lives provides a foundation for us to understand all things in this life and that they are for God's glory and for our good. And friends, that's a war in which we must engage the battle each and every day. A settled trust in God's sovereignty, in God's plan that provides for us a foundation to understand that no matter what happens in this life, God will use it for his glory, and he will bring it for our good. 
And that's what John the Baptist is teaching us in this statement. Life becomes so much clearer and so much more purposeful when we embrace John's stated conviction. All that we have is because we've received it from God. How quickly we react, though, to try and guard what we have, to try and reach for what we want when we feel threatened that we may not get it or even when we see that someone else is getting it and we don't feel like we are. But God knows perfectly what we want, friends. He knows perfectly what we need. And contrary to our thoughts so often, He does care. He cares more than we care. And knowing that all of life comes from God includes much Much, so much more than just what we have. It's first of all about who we are and why we are here. That's what God wants us to understand from John the Baptist's statement today. We are to trust God in all and to know that who we are and what we are given is what he desires us to use As we live for his glory. Trust that all of life comes from God. Grants to us a rest in him. And a release from worldly cares. From worldly worry. From worldly anxiety. You know it's interesting. That moment of of prayerfulness. In preparing for today's sermon. Was to believe and to understand that. It's not the major issues of the world that will keep us from meeting with God this morning. It's not the mountain that we have to climb to succeed in life that will prevent us from hearing from God this morning. But to stay true to that that comparison, it'll be the pebble in our shoe. It'll be that inkling in our heart. It'll be that, 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 that thought that may not be strong or seem strong in our mind today, but it's ever-present, it's continuing, and it will not go away. It may not be a break in the water line that causes your water bill to be ridiculously high. It likely will be the drip in the faucet that you just fail to deal with. And That's what John is causing us to look at this morning and to ask of ourselves, Will we rest in the life that God has given to us because we are trusting that He is for our good? John the Baptist reaffirms what he's been teaching all along. That he was here to point to Christ who had come. And now that Jesus had come, his purpose was fulfilled and it would give him great joy. He explains his response with the analogy of a wedding. And he says this, you know, all are involved in the wedding celebration. The friends of the groom rejoice greatly at the marriage. But they don't receive the same thing in the marriage that the groom receives. For the groom is the only one that receives the object of the celebration, his bride, his bride. 
And this is what John is saying. That the friends of the groom take great joy to watch the groom receive what is his. And and are glad to let the celebration center on the groom and his bride. Because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, to come and to receive his bride. That's what John the Baptist is saying. And so he states the original gospel-centered essence of the Christian life with his response. And here it is. Are you ready? This is the centering core of our lives as Christians on this earth. He must increase. I must decrease. He leaves us with this earth-altering understanding that it is, in fact, all about Jesus. John the Baptist remained faithful to the mission that God had given him. Friends, I propose to you today that no matter what you accomplish in this life, there's nothing more important than remaining faithful to the mission that God gives to you. So when Jesus began to minister and when he began to increase in popularity, it was actually not a threat to John the Baptist. Rather, it was the joy of his life because that's why he was here, to see Jesus increase. You see, the joy of life for every follower of Christ is found as Jesus increases while we decrease. Paul states the same defining principle of the Christian life in several ways. To the Romans in verse 14 and or excuse me chapter 14 and verse 8 he says this, for if we live we live to the Lord. Why? Because in the Lord our life is found. He tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died. He tells the Philippians, for to me to live is Christ. He tells the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, these are all expressions of what John the Baptist provides and they shape our understanding of what it means that we might decrease so Christ might increase in us. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ and the practical application of our confession and conviction that he is our life is that we would decrease so that he could increase. The Christian life is one of being increasingly consumed by the abiding presence and the power of Jesus Christ. Count Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf was the founder of the Moravian Brethren movement of the early 1700s. And here were his mantras. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's the most difficult thing a preacher will ever do in every facet. His life's unifying passion was this. I have one passion. It is he, only 
he. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in The Cost of Discipleship, simply says this, when God calls a man or a woman, a person, he bids them come and die. Come and die. John the Baptist molded an increasing humility, or excuse me, modeled an increasing humility that was empowered by God's hope and God's power in Jesus. And God's increasing presence in our lives always empowers greater humility that produces greater honor and glory to Jesus. The Christian life is consumed in one ethos that we might die to self that Christ might continually increase in glory within. That's what I want us to walk away with today. Jesus Christ is worthy of our all, and he calls us to decrease that he might increase. He is worthy, friends. Hear me. If Christ were not worthy... His call to decrease that he might increase would be of no significance to us. It would hold no meaning for us. But the extent to which he is worthy is the standard that measures the extent to which his call, his invitation to decrease that he might increase should consume us and compel us. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time today and in the remainder of these verses in chapter 3 is simply this. I want to provide three exaltations of Christ that John gives to us in this passage that show us Jesus is in fact ultimately, supremely worthy of consuming all of our life without any spared And with each exaltation of Christ, I want to ask you one question to help you apply it so you can become lesser and he can become the greater. The first exaltation that we see here is in verse 31. Let's read that before we see it. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Friends, the first exaltation that I present to you today is this. Jesus is is worthy to increase in your life because he is above all. He is above all. Jesus is the one who comes from above. This is what John has already explained, introduced, and given us a full application from. He is above all. And it is from him that our very birth from above comes. He gives birth by the Spirit of God because he is from God above. He is the only way to the Father, John has told us, because he is the only one that has come down from the Father. His glory is from God, and therefore what he provides is supreme because it's not of this world. Jesus is supreme in every way because he comes from God the Father. Now, when you want to purchase something, when you want to own something or possess something that is very important to you, what's the first thing that you look for? 
quality, right? Price will come after that, right? Little negotiation. Some of you don't care. Some of you will pay whatever you want to pay because as a matter of fact, I would argue most of us will end up paying whatever we have to if it's something we really want. Me, I don't even ask. I just go, you know, just go do it. Get the do over so you can have it, you know. You look for quality, right? Because if it's something that matters to you, you want it to have meaning. And it will not have meaning if it doesn't have quality, right? And that's what John is telling us in verse 31, that Jesus is above all. I can remember when my mother used to buy the off-brand raisin bran. Had two raisins. She had three children. And she wondered why we fought all the time. Right? I mean, we're all after the two raisins. We don't even want to split them between two of us. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for a glory. We're looking for a quality that is worthy of our fulfillment of our desires and our wants and our needs. And and what John, John is telling us is that there is no other name that compares to Jesus. He is above all. He is superior in every way. It does not matter what you want. It does not matter what the object of your desire is. There is nothing that will compare to what Jesus will provide for you. The problem is we don't trust that whatever he gives will be what we want because we've already set our our, uh, affections, we've set our desires, we've set our wants on some other object. And so we think he's trying to do a sleight of hand. You know, like when the baby gets the remote and daddy wants the remote, But daddy doesn't want to disrupt the baby because the baby disrupted will disrupt mama. And then daddy's life gets disrupted. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about here. And so you do the old switcheroo. Here, you can have a cookie. And that works for a few times until the baby figures out, this is a game. I'm going to get that cookie regardless. I am not giving up this remote. Right? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. I'm holding on to it. Okay, we're about to have a problem. You know. That, that's what happens because we set, our, uh, we set our faith, we set our hope, we set our desires on an object other than Jesus. And we begin to believe that anything he's going to give to us is a bait and switch routine and we can't buy into it. What John is telling us is Jesus is above all. He's above all. And anything he gives to us would be superior in every way. Why? Because he is worthy. He's the only one that can bring a greater glory, a greater joy to our lives that is not determined by and is not subject to this world. Friends, let me ask you a question. You know the answer, so it's not a trick question. What if there were a joy in this world? What if there were a glory in this world that was not subject to and could not be affected by anything in this world? Would you take it? Absolutely. And that's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. 
Jesus' glory is greater than our ideas. His glory is greater than our plans, our abilities, our dreams, our desires, or anything else that originates in this world. The defining confession of our prevailing conviction is this. Nothing from this world compares to Jesus. And so it brings us to the question to help us apply this exaltation. Is Jesus above all in you? Is he above all? Is he of supreme worth? This is what John confronts us with in verse 27 with John the Baptist's statement to consider the reality of this exaltation that he gives to us. The life that you have is from God. Will you trust that he can bring good to you that is better for you than anything else that you could substitute it with? Will you rest in that trust? Everything about John the Baptist's life was being threatened by this confrontation that his disciples brought to him. His success, his fame, his reputation, his work. And for him to acknowledge what he says was to willingly acknowledge he would die for what he was doing. For him to decrease so Christ could increase would not just be a spiritual reality, it would become a physical reality as his life would be taken because of the one he pointed to that held all of his hope, all of his dreams, all of his desires, all of his belief. When life becomes something other than heavenly to us, we can be sure that something other than Jesus is increasing within us. Is Jesus above all the defining exaltation in your life today? Friends, do you think that there is something Christ cannot overcome for you? Do you believe that there is something Christ cannot provide for you that will bring to you enough satisfaction, enough joy, enough comfort, enough security, whatever it is you're after? Do you trust in God to rest in the life that he's given you? Or do you continue to strive for something less? Friends, just be honest with yourself today. Anything you go after that is something other than Jesus will always be less than you could have received in him. I know you won't see it that way. You won't believe it that way. But if you will trust and you will rest, you will find it to be true every time. The Christian life reflects the increasing presence and rule of King Jesus in all things and less and less the rule of me. When Christ is not our sufficient joy, when he is not our sufficient peace, when he is not our sufficient gladness, it is always because there is an increasing absence of him in our hearts. 
And when he is not increasing in our hearts, here's what will happen. Contentment will be absent. Joy will be fleeting. And peace will always give way to one more coup of desires within you. When contentment is absent, when it is fleeting, when contentment is only hard fought or weakly sustained in you, or when it is constantly threatened regarding any or all aspect of life, Here's what you can know. Jesus is not above all within you. You will never want the life that God has given you as long as Jesus is little in you. It just won't happen. Jesus gives life from above and that is above all others because he is heavenly. He is supreme in every way. He will never be sufficient as long as I remain and he decreases but when Jesus increases in our lives he increases the heavenliness within us he is above all and the life that he gives always produces what is heavenly within us no matter the circumstance that surrounds us here's the first exaltation friends the more Jesus increases in you the deeper contentment will establish you and the stronger your rest will be in God. Jesus is worthy to increase in your life no matter the cost or the demand because He is above all. The second exaltation that we find today is in verses 32 to 34. I'll read that for us. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Here's the second exaltation. It is simply this. Jesus is worthy to increase in your life because Jesus bears witness to God. Jesus bears witness to God. Jesus bears witness to all that he has seen and heard. And here's the acuteness and the accuracy of what he is saying to us. He does not say except what he hears God tell him to say. He will not speak except the words that the Father gives to him. So we can trust that everything God, uh, Jesus says and everything he speaks is because the Father has given it to him and given him the words to say. You see, what happens is his testimony provides a way for us to embrace God and to know that God is true. Jesus' presence in us testifies to us that God is for us. That God is for us. One of the reasons we fail, one of the reasons we struggle to trust God in the everyday details of our life is because Jesus has not increased in us in that space, in that relational place, in that affection, in that ideology, in that place where we want to doubt and question God. We remain and Jesus decreases. And we will never trust what God has said to us through the living word of God, who is Jesus, until we receive his testimony to believe. 
by us decreasing and him increasing. Here's what John says. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Friends, this is not a light consideration. Rather, it describes a decisive, specific moment when you say yes to Jesus. And I would say entering into the life to receive by faith what he gives is that first yes. And then the Christian life is a path of yes stones as we follow Christ each and every day throughout the day. Not being saved each and every time yet again, but by living in his salvation through faith. By walking in obedience to him. You believe in who he is. That's the first yes. He is the son who has come from God. You believe what he says, that he speaks the words of God. And you say yes to that. You say yes to what he does. That what he does is not just actions, it's not just words, but it is the revelation of God who is truth. That's what Nicodemus said. We know that you have come from God because no one else teaches the way you do. You say yes in what he has done for you. He died your death in your place. You say yes that in Christ Jesus it is God who is for you. And you put your trust in him. And from that moment Jesus rules as Lord of all. This is what it means to set your seal on this that God is True. When we receive Jesus' testimony about God, we seal the deal for our lives that God is true. This is the conviction that we bury, that we anchor deep within, and that comes to anchor our lives. This seal, it is a seal that represents the whole of your life. What John, the gospel writer, is saying is that he's addressing a, a, a design that is affixed in the ancient of days that conveyed a clear message. Many people were illiterate in that day and couldn't read, so you could write the most grandiose of literary works, and it meant nothing. Nothing to people who couldn't read, but they would take a symbol, a logo, you might say, or an icon, as we would say today, and they would press it into wax. They would press it down with ink, and the representation of that seal would say, this is their life. This is the representation of all of who they are. It denoted ownership. It denoted authenticity. It denoted a personal guarantee. That person who seals the deal sets a seal on the proposition that God is true. It's the decisive act, friends, whereby one decides to accept Jesus and Jesus' witness to receive his rule as lordship and set his seal helps us understand what it means to believe for that's the whole reason John wrote right that you might believe in Jesus and receive eternal life you see relationship with Jesus is not like a relationship with any other person when we believe in Jesus we proclaim with deep conviction that God is true in the very depths of our being to, to the marrow of our bone to the core of our soul and John exhorts us to believe Jesus' testimony about God and seal the deal for the whole of our life. You see, some of you, some of you, the problem is you've opened the envelope and you've stuffed it with something you thought was meaningful to God. 
but you will not seal it because you want to keep adding to it or taking away from it when it's convenient and when you think best. And he's saying, seal it. Commit your life to it. Take a moment and deal with the reality of Jesus and understand what's taking place that what you are doing is dealing with what God has done for you. Will you live by it or will you reject it? That's what it means to seal the deal. And so the question for application is this. Have you believed in Jesus to seal the deal for your life? To authenticate who you are. That I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That I'm a Christian. It's not a label I wear. It's a person that I'm inhabited by. That this is the consuming desire of my life. You see, the more Jesus increases in you, the more God shines as for you. It doesn't mean that all the storms of life cease. It just means this. You know what centers you in every storm. And you remain with the center. As long as you reject Jesus, you deny God's witness in you. But when you believe, you become branded from the heavenlies. And friends, nothing reminds us that God is for us like Jesus' continual, powerful, abiding presence within us. When Jesus abides in us, he bears the continual witness that God is for us. And if we're honest with ourselves, is that not what we really want to know? Is God for me? Does he love me the way the Bible says he loves me? Does he accept me as I am? Or do I have to improve myself to measure up to what he's done. The only way you will ever live deeply anchored in the love of God is for the living, abiding, increasing presence of Jesus to be ever present in you. And then you'll know. It doesn't matter what happens today. God is for me. And whatever come. This is the life he's given to me. I will live with this one defining purpose. It is he, only he. I must decrease, he must increase. The third exaltation that I provide for you today, verses 35 and 36. <clears throat> the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is worthy to increase in your life because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. John packs these last verses of chapter 3. So full of God's promise for those who believe in Jesus. But he also gives a very clear warning to those who reject him. 
And he reveals three ways that Jesus is worthy to increase because he is God. The first one is this. He says Jesus lives in perfect unity with the Father. We know that Jesus is God because he lives in perfect unity with the Father. The Son enjoys all the Father's love and the full expression of his being. And this tells of such a closeness and unity that they are in fact one. And this is what Jesus will teach us throughout this gospel. All that we can know of God, we have in Jesus. There is nothing about God that we cannot know in Jesus. There's nothing that we have to get around Jesus to find out. All that we can know and experience of God is in Jesus. Love for Jesus is a love for God. Love, or excuse me, a knowledge of Jesus. Knowing him is knowing God. There is no knowledge of God nor a love for God without Jesus or beyond Jesus. And John reveals this. Jesus is God and he reveals the Father that we might know him and his perfect Love. There's a second reason why Jesus is worthy to increase because he is God. Not only does he live in perfect unity with the Father, but he holds the full power of God. That's what he says. He gives the Spirit without measure. I mean, that's how I want candy on Halloween, right? No, don't give me three pieces. Dump the whole bucket, right? I mean, just pour it all over me, you know? Don't put a little whipped cream on my latte. Make it come out of the cup and just go everywhere and then give me a shot in the mouth afterwards, right? I mean, that's how the Spirit is poured out through Christ. It's without measure. It's without measure. In reference to the Spirit, God withheld nothing from Jesus. He gives him all power to act as God. That's why in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus commissions his disciples, he says this, all authority has been given to me, therefore, and it really doesn't matter what comes after therefore, anything that comes after therefore needs to be therefore because of what came before it. All, all, all the power of God is given to Jesus and with power we know that Jesus may defeat his foes, but the question remains, can he control them? If he beats him once, can he control him? And the third way that John shows us that Jesus is worthy of all of our worship and, and honor because he is God is because he's been given not only all power, but all authority as well. Jesus holds the full authority of God. He says, the Father has given all things into his hand. Not just all power, but all things have been given into Jesus. They've been put under his control. Here's the answer. The answer is yes, Jesus can control them. And we see that throughout the Gospels. What happens when Jesus walks up on a person who's possessed by a demon? The demons do not flare up and boister trying to pick a fight with Jesus. They're quiet and going, maybe if we're still, he won't don't see us but when he speaks you ever notice how they don't even go but there is no but from a demon in response to Jesus what he says they do why because in the spirit world there is no rebuttal to the one who holds all authority 
The question of, of, this, of this exaltation is this. Is there any rebuttal in you to the one who holds all authority, who holds all power, who is God? Jesus came from heaven to earth with the fullness of the Father's presence in order to do his will. And so when John completes this third exaltation, he concludes with a promise and with a warning that the one who believes in Jesus has eternal life because Jesus is life. The one who does not believe remains under God's wrath and perishing. Friends, the question to apply is simply this. Have you settled this matter in your heart? That to believe in Jesus is eternal life, but to reject him is to remain under God's wrath and perishing. Jesus alone gives eternal life because he is our all in all. Believe it's that decisive moment that begins a present, ongoing action. Only Jesus is life. And the more he increases within you, the more life from God that resides within you. And the more fullness of God that is in you. Jesus always proves that he is all in all to the one that believes in him. But John concludes with a strong warning. For the one that does not, for the one that will not, you will remain under God's wrath and perishing. And so I invite you, why not settle this today? Why not settle with God once for all? That he is true. That Jesus has come to save.